Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming. We'll continue with our discussion of Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha this evening. Uh, we're on the 85th Anacheda. 85th Anacheda is presented in three subparts, the first of which we went over in our last discussion. And if we remember that discussion, uh, we were talking about the fact that there may be certain people that will ascribe to an Advaitin viewpoint in looking at the verses from the Srimad Bhagavatam that Jiva Goswami just presented. He writes in the Anacheda, It is indeed seen that a person having various types of knowledge acts in different ways. This description does not come into the category of Advaita Vod, though it seems to. So what he's doing here is he's kind of backing off from people that could see Sridhar Swami's viewpoint as a Dwayton. It appears to be a Dwayton, but you have to know the author. Basically, what's, what's his, what's the overall commentary that Sridhar Swami gave in his Bhagavatam? And the overriding commentary is not from the Dwayton viewpoint. It's from the Bhakti viewpoint. So, this description does not come into the category of Advaita Vod, though it seems to. Only a real agent shows a real object to be a real seer by the real potency of Maya. The same is also seen in the world as well. Therefore, let the above point of view also be accepted. Because, now here when he says above point of view, He's looking to that whole series of Bhagavatam verses that he's quoted. So, therefore, let the above point of view also be accepted because, and then he writes his own verse of his own composition in the Anucheta, for us, any object other than the enchanting fragrance of Sri Krishna's lotus feet, even if real, is ultimately false. So what is the point of this senseless obstinacy in regards to the world's reality or non-reality? So let's just get, let's just cut to to the chase, to the bone, as they say, get to the real heart of the matter. And if you're seeing anything and experiencing anything but Krishna's lotus feet and the preg- and the fragrance of those lotus feet. You're not seeing reality anyway. So what's the difference? What what's the different what logic we call it? What's the difference of of how you look at anything? You're not seeing the reality. The reality and the basis for everything is Krishna. And then in the in the commentary we also have, uh, and we read this, the actual commentary of Sridhar Swami from the second verse of, of the Bhagavat Purana, the Bhagavatam, wherein he makes clear the fact that he accepts that there is a supreme personality and that that personality is the basis of everything, the Vastava, of the Jiva, of Maya, of the creation, of everything, there's one supreme source. So we'll continue with the second subsection of this 85th Anucheta. Um, Maya's relation to the Jiva and Paramatma is the overall section from the 82nd to the 92nd Anucheta. And now we're going to have one this one section here and we're just going to read through it and get to the heart of it and then move on um, in this doctrine this is his Anacheda Jiva's writing the explanation of the Shruti's prayer in Srimad Bhagavatam 1087-36 quoted above in Anacheda 70 should be understood to be largely in accord with that of Sridhar Swami sometimes in the inferences given by him, the difference between the Swarup and Maya Shaktis 
is concluded to be non-existent. So sometimes Sridhar Swami in his commentary writes in such a way that he doesn't, he sees them both as Shaktis of the Supreme. So whether he doesn't make a fine line, and they are both Shaktis of the Supreme. His Swarup Shakti is that internal potency by which he manifests the spiritual realm or his very nature. And then, as presented here, we attribute the Maya Shakti to the Paramatma feature of the Supreme Lord. So, we, we make a distinction, Jiva Goswami's made a distinction, and generally it's seen as a distinctive separate Shakti. But sometimes Sridhar Swami in his commentary, and understand how much, how much significance is given to Sridhar Swami's commentary on the Bhagavatam by the followers of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. That I think is, is core to appreciating these Anuchetas of Srila Jiva Goswami. That Sridhar Swami's commentary is, that's, it's really a core element to the Madhva, the Brahma, Madhva, Gaudiya, Sampradaya going forward from the time of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And the significance is to the whole thrust of Golokar Premadan Harinam Sankirtan. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu made available entrance into the most intimate understanding of the Supreme Lord through his Sankirtan movement. Unheard of. And, of course, as the basis of that kind of approach to the supreme absolute truth, he put forth the Srimad Bhagavatam as the primary means for acquiring pure spiritual knowledge, overriding the Upanishads, the Vedanta Sutra, and to some extent, the knowledge in the Bhagavad Gita, which was preliminary. So the Prastana Trayi, these three Upanishads, Vedanta Sutra, Bhagavad Gita, are the primary literatures upon which the Sampradayas base their understanding of the Supreme Absolute Truth. Even the Vaishnav Sampradayas, they base their understanding not on the Bhagavatam, like Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Their understanding is primarily based on Upanishads, Brahma Sutra, Vedanta Sutra, and Bhagavad Gita. Prastata Trayi. That's where their emphasis is. So, most of the Vaishnavas. Sri Sampradaya, there's four four Vaishnav Sampradayas. So we have the, the, the Kumara Sampradaya, the Shiva Sampradaya, Lakshmi Sampradaya, and Brahma Sampradaya. And then coming down into modern time. So you're saying that Sri Swami seems he sometimes considers which one, which Shakti? He doesn't make a distinction. He doesn't, he, he, he doesn't get technical the way the elaboration has been done by Jiva Goswami. About the Shri About any distinction between these two Shaktis. The, oh. the Maya Shakti and the Swarup Shakti. Oh. The fact the Lord manifests the transcendental realm with his Swarup Shakti and the material realm with his Maya Shakti. So he sometimes writes in such a way that one would say, well, he's, he's equating the two. And he may even be equating the two because he's making a generalized statement. These two domains, his spiritual domain and his material manifestation, are 
coming from his potencies. From this, in his opinion, Vaikuntha and other aspects of the spiritual world also become unreal like the material world. In this, his intention is as follows. I mean, Jiva's really, he's saying, okay, yes, he's written like that, but this is really what he means. I know why he's, what he's, what he wants to convey here. So Jiva continues in his Anacheda. We, we here meaning Sridhar, establish an object that is to be known through recognized means of valid knowing, such as perception, as having a particular nature by comparing it to another object that is already known through the very same methods. So we, in order to understand something, we compare it to things that we already understand. It's logical. We don't, you know, we've, we have a comparison. We see the sun and it gives off light and heat. And we see a light bulb and it gives off light and some little amount of heat. And there's some comparison. Both are sources of light. So we naturally make these kind of assumptions. Uh, but Jiva goes on. But an object that is not known by such means. How, what do we do then? How can we know? If we can't perceive it, right? We cannot perceive it. And we can't compare it to anything that we have perceived. We're kind of lost as to having an appropriate understanding of it. And which can be known only by the direct experience of those who have realized scriptural truth cannot be made otherwise even by citing unlimited examples. We're, we, 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 when trying to ap understand or, or apprehend what is the Vaikuntha realm like, what do we have as a reference point? We don't, unless we've experienced it. And since some have and some haven't, those that haven't have to rely on those that have. We have no other point that we can accept for a description of, this, of the transcendental realm. Even if you cite a hundred examples and say, Chintamani, you know, Prakarasadmasu, uh, you know, it's a wish fulfill, wish fulfilling atmosphere and the, the ground and the trees are called Pavriksha, which means whatever you want, it just immediately is available to you. The whole atmosphere, you know, all the walking is dancing. So the nice analogies, but wow. We have no frame of reference. So that's the point that's being conveyed here. What frame of reference do we have in trying to apprehend the nature of the Lord or his transcendental abode? What do we have to go on? Thus, the propaganda, I'm sorry, thus the propagation of non-difference between the jiva and iswara is only in the sense of both being conscious. So those that are saying that ultimately we become God, it, it doesn't, there's, it just, it doesn't, doesn't fit. It's not logical because people have realized and to say that the jiva is Brahman ultimately it, it's so that's the conclusion here. People put out propaganda 
of non-difference between the jiva and the aswara. But it's only in the sense that both are conscious. It's an interesting paragraph because it seems to have gone to a couple different subjects. But the conclusion is of the paragraph is to establish that a recognized path to knowledge and experience doesn't exist for such transcendental matters as the nature of the Supreme and his consciousness and the nature of his realm. In the commentary, what Sachin Orion brings out is, he says, Now, out of respect for Sridhar Swami, he explains the intention of the latter in writing such a commentary. So he's saying, it was out, it's out of respect that Sridhar Swami's explaining this to I mean, that Jiva Goswami's explaining to the, this to us in this way and giving and basically deferring to that presentation as something that isn't, isn't something that we should look down upon or be critical of. He goes on to say, he is not refuting the existence of the Vaikuntha planets. Sridhar Swami is not refuting that. What he's refuting is our ability to apprehend what the Vaikuntha planets are like with our limited facilities. Unless we've experienced them. Unless we've actually had spiritual revelation of the Vaikuntha realm, then it's just like the various experiences that we've had in the material realm, which in and of themselves, for the most part, are unreliable. Your experience and my experience of the world are different experiences. There's some commonality, but based on your conditioning and my conditioning, we see the same situation differently. You may see black, I may see white. You may see a red truck. I may see a blue truck. You know, so we've gone over the fact that sense perceptions very much colored by our, our mental attitude. So similarly, that's what's being said here when Vaikuntha, the Vaikuntha atmosphere is also illusory, so to speak. What's the exact word used? In his opinion, Vaikuntha and the other aspects of the spiritual world also become unreal, like the material world. If you're only basing your understanding of the spiritual realm on a comparison with the material realm, then that's an un, Vaikuntha might well be like the material world for you. It might, might as well be just another illusory realm. Now, we accept, again, we accept that the material world is a real manifestation of the real potency of Paramatma, Parinamavad. We accept that. But the way we experience that real, real effect of a real cause as you were asking about at the end of last class, sat Satkaryavad is a part of Parinamavad. That the, re, the world is real because it comes from the supreme real. So we can't say the world's not real, but our perception of the world, that can be really unreal. So much so that we can look at it. We all live in the illusion of material existence. This illusion makes us think we're this body. This illusion makes us think we're this country. We're this, we're this class of man. We're in so many ways. It's unreal because it's not based on the deeper knowledge of the self. So in the material world, it's the material world's not illusion. 
but it creates the illusion that lets us buy into a false sense of I. So if you are basing your understanding of Vaikuntha on a comparison with your illusory understanding of the material world, well, Vaikuntha is also as illusory as your perception of the material world. That's what's being said here. The meaning is that Sridhar is providing a material analogy only to explain material phenomena. Phenomena. When he says Vaikuntha is also illusory, he's only talking about that kind of a comparison that we just put forward. He is not refuting the existence of the Vaikuntha planets, which is a matter of direct experience for realized devotees. Nobody can deny the experience of these devotees by any amount of logic or analogy. How are you going to walk up to the sadhu and say, Vaikuntha doesn't exist. You've never been to Vrindavan. You're not... Exp- what? 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 You can't understand his consciousness by any amount of logic or reasoning or by any amount of comparison to what you know of material existence, phenomenal sense intake. Moreover, the oneness established in, is only to corroborate that the jiva is conscious like Paramatma and thus distinct from matter. matter. There is no absolute oneness between them. We are conscious. Paramatma is conscious. That's the extent of it. There, then we have to start looking at the difference. They're both conscious. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's good. Wow. But there's some differences here. The Supreme is fully conscious of everything, and we're barely conscious of our own body. So... <laughs> we're infinitesimally conscious of our infinite, infinitesimal place in material existence, and Krishna is fully aware of all existence on all planes, not only here, but in his transcendental realm. So, yes, we are Brahman, but that's kind of where it ends, or where it begins, depending on how how we're looking at it. I mean, it's a good place to start to know that you're conscious and you're not just a bag of bones where you have some awareness that came about by a certain, what do you want to say, composition of matter. We put matter together in a certain way and then all of a sudden we have consciousness and when the matter goes away, consciousness is gone forever. So being aware that we're conscious is a good beginning. Be, thinking that our consciousness can take us to the point of supreme consciousness, the supreme level of consciousness that's a, available to that supreme personality, that's taking it a little too far. So now we come to the third subsection, and in the third subsection, we start another subject. And the other subject is, how do we understand the material world that is definitely coming as a modification of the Shaktis of the Supreme, how can we understand that he's not affected by it? How do we how do we how do we reconcile all that? Now for this reconciliation to take place for us to develop the discrimination through hearing of exactly how this transpires, Shijiva Goswami is going to rely on the discourse between Vidura and Maitreya as explained in the third canto of the Bhagavatam. And the next few Anuchedas are going to first of all bring up the important questions that Vidura placed before Maitreya, and then we'll have his response. And here we find Vidura is asking this this exact question. How does this happen? How is it that God makes material world and making the world from his very self 
He himself is unaffected by it. So Anacheta 85, third subsection, Jiva Goswami writes, It has been said that the supreme regulator, Parameshwar, enacts the work of creation and so on of the universe through his natural maya potency, and only the jiva is deluded by it. The doubt is in this regard as to Parameshwar's absolute non-involvement with maya. That's the doubt. is removed in eight verses containing Vidura's questions and Maitreya's answers to them. Then Jiva Goswami quotes the first of Vidura's questions, and these will continue for a couple Anachetas with an elaborate explanation by Jiva Goswami, and then we'll get Maitreya's response, which is the conclusion as to why God is not affected by the material energy and as to why the pure self which we are who has no real contact with the material world is also affected by maya the external energy how does this happen because we're also absolutely pure that's our nature. We didn't. We're in, we have certain characteristics, and in the Paramatmas and Dharma, the characteristics of the Jiva are there. And being conditioned by Maya is not, not one of the intrinsic, always existing characteristics of the Jiva. So Vidura begins his questions. O Brahmana. How can Bhagavan, who is consciousness alone, immutable and free of the gunas, become involved with the gunas and functions of Prakriti even as a matter of cosmic play? Sure. Vidura is saying to Maitreya, O Brahmana, how can Bhagavan, how can the Supreme, who is consciousness alone, chin matrasya. That's the nature of the Lord. He's, he's immutable, avikarana, and free of the gunas, nirgunasya, become involved with the gunas and functions of prakriti, even as a matter of cosmic play. That's Vidura's question. It's a pretty deep question. How does this happen? I mean, I want to know. So, I mean, these conversations, these dialogues in the Bhagavatam, as we've said, we, and especially as we're now learning through Jiva's, you know, unpacking them for us and using them as the basis upon which he's presenting these Sandarbhas, we find out how deep they are. I mean, his his Sandarbhas and the sections, the, the Anuchetas that comprise them, unpack these, and they've been arranged specifically to com to give us a, a comprehensive understanding of Sambanda, Abhideya, and Prayojan. Four some four. Sandarbhas, just for Sambanda. What's the relationship of stuff? How does all this stuff fit together? How does all this work? How is the God and the living entity and the material nature and the spiritual world? How does all of this work? Four Sandarbhas dedicated just to that. So this unpacking of these verses, these un the unpacking of these these various dialogues, in the Bhagavatam, and we've just gone through this 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 other section, a massive you know a massive amount of adjectives dealing with a misapprehension that it's truly not an illusion. So now we're going on. We'll we'll 
now we need to understand what is the nature of the material world and how can it come about and not how can God not be affected by his creation is basically what the door is asking here. Now, Jiva Goswami unpacks that a little bit. He writes as his commentary, O Brahmana, that being is exclusively consciousness, meaning that his essential nature is that of consciousness alone. He is Bhagavan, inclusive of all opulence, by virtue of his intrinsic potency, Swarup Shakti, meaning that he is self-endowed with transphenomenal opulences, such as those found in Sri Vaikuntha, which are identical in nature to his intrinsic potency. He's just paraphrasing the verse from Vidura here, but he's unpacking it and, and giving a, a deeper understanding. Thus, he is thus free from the material gunas, near gunasya, meaning that he is untouched by them. He is therefore also immutable, avikarina, meaning that he never undergoes any transformation unlike a material agent. How so? Although unlimited actions springing from the play of the intrinsic potency appear in him, the reservoir of infinite ever-arising self-expansions, Prakash, yet because all such actions are functions of his eternally self-established intrinsic potency, he, as the agent by which such actions are made to appear, is never subject to any change in his condition. What? No. I missed it. What am I missing here? No, that's what I just said. <laughs> Jiva Goswami continues. How then could the material gunas, such as sattva, be attributed to him who is devoid of any transformation? And how can functions such as sustenance, which are caused by association with the gunas, be linked to him. Consequently, because these gunas and functions are contrary to the purely conscious reality, they cannot be associated with him. Moreover, it cannot be argued that, since he is Bhagavan, they are connected to him even by his free and independent action. And so, Sri Vidura stipulates, not even as a matter of cosmic play. Not even as a matter of cosmic play. Cosmic play. That's the important word here. But they're not a part of his internal play. Here the questioner raises this issue even after accepting both Bhagavan's conscious nature and divine majesty, although, along with his immutability and freedom from the gunas. He therefore says, we admit that the being whose essential nature is that of consciousness alone is Bhagavan. In this way, we have no doubt. How can we agree that he accepts other material qualities? This is all that Vidura is asking. This is the literal meaning of the verse. And that ends. Ajiva Goswami's Anucheda. So this is a riddle. A riddle. The commentator says. And it's not going to be solved by any logical gymnastics. Now the Advaita Vadis, he mentions here, have tried to solve the riddle with their logic. <laughs> What's the solution that they've come up with? What's their logical conclusion that solves this riddle? 
by explaining the universe away completely. The universe doesn't even exist. Okay, that solves it. God doesn't, there is no universe. It's all in your mind. And if you just clean your mind up and realize you're a spirit soul, then you don't need to worry about the fact that God made the world and appears to be sustaining the world. Because that word is also there. Jiva says sustainability. How can you sustain something without having involvement with it? It It's really a good question. How is that possible? The Lord's created and sustained the whole universe, but he has no no dealings with how does that exactly work is really what Vidura is saying because I know the nature of God. He's pure, uncontaminated. He's not affected by the gunas of material nature. He's He has all these transcendental characteristics which are stand in direct opposition to what we experience in the material world which is fully fallible and always deteriorating. So how is it? So this this is what is going to be unpacking these next few anachetas. How is this happening? And just to say that the world is an illusion and it really doesn't exist, that's not really an adequate. We've just dealt with the Adwaitans in the last set of anachetas. So let's go... F- we know that their conclusion is not acceptable. So, Sri Jiva will present the viewpoint of the Bhagavatam in the upcoming sections. And this is this is going to carry through all the way to the uh, 92nd Anucheta. And we're now on the 85th. So, he's this is really going to be unpacked and explained fully. Sri Jiva introduces this topic to illustrate that there is no need to admit the Advaitavad theory of the universe to establish that Brahman remains untouched by Prakriti or the defects of material creation. He's going to give the appropriate understanding. And he's doing that for what reason? So that we're not misled to accept the Advaitin theory that ultimately it's all just an illusion. Well, it's not an illusion. Well, then, how does this work? Vidura is asking the question to Maitreya. How does this work? How is this possible? How has God pulled this off? Because it seems that, and our practical experience is, from our perspective, that where there is an effect, there is a cause. And generally we see the cause and its characteristics fully manifest or to a degree manifest in the effect. So there's a lot of effects in the material world that we cannot tie back to these characteristics that Vidura's brought up in this one question. We can't tie back to the material world. What, 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 do, what do we have here? Consciousness alone. In our world, this material world, we see there are things that are unconscious. Dead matter. With the supreme as consciousness alone, how does it, how does this world that has an aspect of dead matter come as a manifestation of him? Immutable. The Lord is immutable. He can't be changed in any way. He's never changed. He manifests differently, but ontologically he never changes. He's pure consciousness. So, everything in this world appears to be mutable. Again, how do we, how do we make this compute? Free of the gunas, the Lord is not affected by the modes of material nature. And there's nothing in the material realm that's not affected by the modes of material nature. So it's a good question. (laughs) It's a very good question. So we'll go on to the 86th Anacheda and begin it.
to wrap up this evening's discussion. A general um, title to this Anacheta can be Leela cannot be the cause behind creation. Now, of course, we know Guru Maharaj talks sometime about the Shristi Leela, but this particular Anacheta is speaking of something different. So, if we once we read through the Anacheta, we'll see that that doesn't discount that other understanding, that it is a manifestation of his Leela in relationship to... Uh, the jiva. Moreover, jiva writes, the question is redoubled. Because he who is consciousness alone and is self-endowed with divine majesty, Bhagavata, cannot have inferior material gunas and actions. Furthermore, it is improper to suggest that this could be so even as a matter of play. That, like that of a child, because of the dissimilarity between the play of a child and that of Bhagavan. Vidura expresses this as follows. And now, Jiva Goswami quotes the very next question by Vidura to Maitreya. So there are a few questions we're asked of Maitreya, and then he'll respond to them. Vidura says, A child is impelled, Yudhyama, to play out of his own desire, or due to another's child's, child's wish to play. But how can this be so for Bhagavan, who is fully satisfied in his own self, and ever detached from any other thing? Jiva Goswami unpacks the Anucheda. The word Udyama refers to that which impels one to action. Desire, comma, is the reason impelling the child to play. When, however, the child's desire to play arises from another, anyatha, this can be due either to desire for another object or because of being induced by another child. But Bhagavad is fully satisfied in his own self and in the majesty of his own essential nature, and therefore he is always detached from all else. How then can the desire to play arise into him prompted for something other from some external cause such as an individual jiva or the universe. They're so inferior. There's so much not of his nature as we just went over from the last Anucheta. You know, full consciousness. If you're fully conscious, would you want to be in a world where there's not full consciousness? So all these, all those characteristics that we just went over, consciousness, immutability, would you really want to play in a world that, that's mutable if you could have absolute play in a immutable world where nothing's ever lost? Like you're not going to lose your marbles when you're playing marbles. You're never, Nothing's immutable. It's it's so you have a choice. Krishna certainly has a choice between the two. So that's the point that's being made here. He doesn't. He would. He he's not going to choose a playground that's not of his own nature because his own nature is so wonderful that there's there's nothing to impel him to do so. He's not going to be impelled by the jiva. Now, I know there's jivas that have the capacity, but that's when bhakti comes into play. They've been affected by the intrinsic potency, but you understand the point that's being made. And affected by the, by the gunas. And just put yourself in Krishna's shoes. Where would you rather enact your pastimes? where your body is deteriorating, where you're affected by lust, anger, greed, madness, illusion, and envy, where you're... Where would you want to conduct your, your leela, your play? So if you had a choice, just put yourself in that position with, a cho with that capacity. So we'll wrap up with a little from the commentary. 
In the previous verse, it was said that even Leela, or the cosmic play of Bhagavan, cannot be the cause of, behind creation. The present verse explains the reason why. A person engaged in player sport engages in player sport to experience pleasure, but Bhagavan is pleasure personified. He is Anandamaya, meaning that Ananda or bliss is his very nature. He has no need to seek Ananda elsewhere. In fact, being one without a second, there is nothing outside of him. A child likes to play with toys or with other children to derive pleasure. But Bhagavan is Aptakama. He whose desires are fully satisfied. So it cannot be said that Bhagavan creates the universe as a sport for pleasure. Moreover, even if he were to engage in sport for pleasure... He would do so by using the, why would he do so by using the petty material energy consisting of inferior gunas? Would he not rather do so by employing his own intrinsic spiritual energy? Sevador's first question here is why would Bhagavan engage in activities at all, being fully content with himself? And secondly, if he were to play, how could he do so with the material energy? We'll continue in the next discussion with the 87th Anucheda and continue to unpack. Jiva Goswami will continue to unpack for us the questions of Vidura placed before Maitreya. Do you have any questions? At the end of the second sub part of Anucheda 85 where he's uh -huh. talking about um, how um, we can't know something that we can't perceive. How can we know something that we can't perceive or compare? We have no frame of reference. Remember that part? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Does he get into? Does he? Does he come to the point of arguing for Shastra or something like in top of? Not in the no. the The argument is just there, presented. It's not really fully exploited. Okay. But the argument basically is in relationship to. Yes, you cannot, you, we cannot understand the spiritual realm without revelation. And because that's the only way for one to understand it, then those that haven't had that revelation cannot so easily dismiss the revelation as being you know, just because you haven't experienced it doesn't mean that you can just dis, yeah, substantial, that you can just dismiss it offhand. That, it doesn't give you that privilege. We, and we accept descending knowledge. Descending knowledge means somebody's been there and done that. The whole basis of the Bhagavatam's presentation is what? Shudavyasadev's revelation. That revelation is the basis for the whole presentation of an of entry into the transcendental realm and an understanding of the supreme absolute truth in all of his forms. Vedanti tat tat bhavidas tatvam yas jnanamadvayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti sabjate. I mean, in everything in the Bhagavatam, I mean, just look at it. it's one revelation after another. I mean, these just we read the Bhagavatam and all kinds of people are meeting with God. Oh, God, wow, what can I do for you? What can you do for me? I mean, I'm just reading about Kardama Muni and Devahuti, and Krishna's there with Kardama. He says, I need you to, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna send a good wife your way. I know you've been meditating on this for a hundred years. In a hundred years, you've been praying to me to give you the perfect wife. A couple of days from now, the leader of mankind is going to show up at your little hut with the perfect mate to be in meditation and to have that kind of a desire. Of course, the desire was not misplaced. He wasn't praying to demigods. He was very specifically addressing his meditation on the supreme truth, the supreme, on Krishna. Please, if you so desire, bring me. Oh, by the way, well, it just so happens 
your desire coincides with my desire to populate the universe. Throughout the Bhagavatam, again and again, we have transcendental revelation after one after another. All these personalities meeting and interacting with God. We're getting to hear what God says to them. We're going to, we're hearing how they re, how they talk to God, how they interact with Him. And we have the commentaries of the great Acharyas telling us what, what's happening. Basically, I like to say under the hood. Just Vishwanath just mentions we were discussing this afternoon with Asharan Maharaj. I would, there's a place where Kardama Muni has already given his wife nine daughters. He again has a revelation and a discussion with the Supreme Lord. The Supreme Lord's I'm coming as, as Kapila and it's okay for you to leave, basically. You want to, I know your desire is to leave. And in the commentary, Vishwanath mentions, he says, well, this is interesting because what you have here is opportunity to experience Vatsalya Ras with the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He was his father. I'm sorry, Kardama Muni. But he would rather continue to serve the Lord in meditation in Dasyaras. So he leaves. It's more important that I do service that I enjoy your association. That's because Vishwanath Chakravartan understands the mentality. Yeah. So you have to be on a level to understand the mentality of that particular devotee. And be able to see right. And to see him. why he would rather leave yeah. than stay. Yeah. And it was because it's more important to engage in service than it to try to enjoy the Lord. And Ashram Maharaj mentioned during a conversation, yeah, just like Uddhava at the end of Krishna's manifest pastimes. Uddhava's like, I'm going with you. Let's go. You're leaving. I'm leaving. We're out of here. It was fun, wasn't it? Krishna's saying, yeah, no, you're not. I have some service for you. Need you to go up into the mountains. Need you to, uh, I need you to enlighten me <laughs> about my pastimes, such as the nature of the transcendental. Thank you so much for your association.